This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. Razib Khan's Unsupervised Learning. Thanks for listening to the ungated version of the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. If you want to read some essays on some of these topics, please check out razib.substack.com. Again, that's razib.substack.com. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Razib with the Unsupervised Learning Podcast. Actually, I'm going to do something a little different today uh, from what I usually do with the intro. Also, um, can you please rate or review my podcast on all the different platforms? I know I don't hawk that a lot, but if I don't, uh, people just stop rating it and, uh, you know, everyone else's ratings are going up and mine are staying static. So I got to keep up with the Joneses and the whatevers. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, now, um, onto the main show. Um, I am here with a default friend, Catherine D. Uh, she is a freelance writer and she writes at a lot of different places. We're going to be talking about one particular place, but, um, Catherine, could you tell us, uh, like all the different places you're writing at right now? Yeah, um, I write regularly for um, Return, uh, Tablet, The Washington Examiner, Unheard, The Spectator, and then wherever else asks me, like Compact, which we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you're known as a culture writer on the internet, I guess. It's one of the things you do. You have a Substack, uh, you have podcasts, and you're on a lot of podcasts. You're all over the place. But um, I do want the listeners uh, to know that uh, I know you from uh, before you blew up, um, I would say, uh, back when we lived in the same town and I hung out with you a couple of times and uh, you were doing the career transition thing. So I just want people to know um, we don't, do know each other a little bit um, IRL aside from our internet connections, which are pretty extensive insofar as I've actually contributed to some of the same publications as you. We share a lot of the common friends and we interact with each other uh, on a site called I mean, am I going to call it X? I'll call it X. I'll call it X. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, Twitter, uh, X, uh, the the, uh, the website formerly known as Twitter. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about because um, you have a piece in contact. But uh, first, I, w- I actually want to start out with a more general um, more general question because this, this is something I actually talked to Mark Andreessen about uh, on Clubhouse. Um, and you, you cover a lot of internet culture, a lot of weird things that I don't really know about, um, honestly. Uh, and you know, so that's a particular type of culture, right? But what pop culture is not internet culture today? Like, is there anything that is actually uh, mass media pop culture that does not have an internet component or internet medium? I don't think so. Um, I, I wrote an article for the Washington Examiner recently that was basically like all culture writers are internet culture writers at this point. I think there's like two different like textures to it, right? Like you could, there's writing about sort of internet native culture, and then there's more of a commercial internet, like the normie internet, and then there's a non-normie internet. And I think that's the actual fault line. Yeah, so you're talking about like say, going to Amazon and buying something, that's the commercial internet. And then, uh, or uh, I don't know, reading the New York Times. But then there's a whole other aspect of weird people with anons on social media, but there's also the Instagram world, which is totally different. Uh, presumably there's a Snapchat world, which like I do have Snap installed, I think, but I've literally used it once. Uh, so there's all of these subcultures that are out there. And we're going to be talking mostly about the Twitter subculture, which is one particular subculture. But when we're talking about internet cultures, uh, the, this, is, this is a vast archipelago, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so huge. Um, it's, I mean, more people should be working on internet studies. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. it's kind of remarkable that it's actually like relatively small. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, uh, you know, 4chan got really big. I mean, 4chan has been around for a long time, but 4chan got really big, you know, during the Trump, you know, period era. I don't know what you want to call it because a lot of these uh, young shitlords, uh, their memes got mainlined into Twitter and then from Twitter, it went into the broader culture. But people actually don't know that it's from 4chan, you know? Uh, and so I mean, that's an interesting 
aspect to me. It's so ubiquitous, but it's also so dispersed that people don't know the different connections. And it's kind of like this big blob and people are insulated from the mechanics of the blob. Yeah, it it is really weird. And there's, I mean, there's also this other thing where it's like, there's so much of it that like, actually it's like, on one hand, it's, I think it's fine that you, that you don't know everything, right? Because it's, it actually, these things go so deep. It would be like impossible. Um, like, like for, like, for example, like I actually think 4chan got big with all their like Scientology kind of pranks. Right. But I mean, did it, did it, or was that just my particular bubble? Right. Um, but then on the other hand, I feel like people still don't take the internet seriously. Um, which is like a weird, a weird thing because it's, we're kind of always ambiently online at this point. There is no real like logging off. Yeah, I mean, are you a little resentful because you're an internet culture writer? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not too resentful. I mean, I've never. I I I feel like since I kind of I sort of started as like a Twitter personality, um, like just to be like totally transparent, and then I eventually became um, known for my writing. For me, it's almost like the not being taken totally seriously is is par for the course, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I think I think people would probably, you know, probably serve people well to take it just a touch, a touch more seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of your origins, and I don't want to, I don't want to, like, like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Although I do have to say, uh, as I said, I've known you. I mean, I think we've known each other to various degrees for like over five years now. Um, and yeah. And you do have a relatively, yeah. Go on. I was going to say, I think I first met met you. I don't wasn't in person, but like I e met you in like 2015. Yeah, we probably interacted already in 2015. So I guess that's that's a, that's a long time. That is a long time. I had uh, fewer children in 2015 than I do now. But uh, yeah, um, that's so that's that's how I think of it. You know, uh, but uh, you know, your 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 profile has kind of gone up exponentially. Um, you know, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Like I've had friends who who have like been surprised that I know you because you're someone to know. And I'm just like, well, that's cool. But I mean, I did, I didn't know her before she wasn't a thing on the internet. So, um, it, you know, it's just interesting to see that, that particular trajectory of how you came out of, if I'm um, correct, you came out of like discord, the discord world. Sort of. I mean, I got, I've been on Twitter since 2007 and I, then I had like various like anonymous accounts, but I, started being more open on Twitter because I was in Oliver Trolley's Discord server. Yeah, and Oliver Oliver has been on this podcast. So again, a lot of this, uh, I don't want to say incestuous, there are billions of people in the world, but apparently there's only a couple of thousand interesting ones. I don't know. I just seem to, it seems like everyone knows everyone else in my world, and maybe that's because small world topologies work out where we're in these bubbles. But that's how I feel with you uh, in terms of you came out of this particular subculture that I was adjacent to, you know, people like Cody Ross, Oliver Traldi, both of them who've been on this podcast, actually. Uh, so that's weird, but it is what it is. And now you're you're a internet culture writer that has, I mean, you know, I, I'm just to say it like you're you're bigger than them, <laughs> you know. So you never know, you never know um, who you're who you're uh, mentoring in your Discord, who's going to get you know bigger and become uh, a profile like. You know, you you had a normal kind of corporate. I mean, it wasn't a big company, but you know, you were at an agency. Um, I kind of wasn't going to ask you this question because I didn't think about it. But like, you had a normal life with a normal person job, and now you're doing this. And I, you know, I have a startup, as the most of the listeners know. But then I also have whatever this is, whatever I'm doing here. You know, um, and so how is how is that sometimes? Do you ever think about it? Do you ever reflect on it? Like, how do you explain it to people? Um, I mean, I just, I actually don't interact with a lot of people now who aren't in this world, which is actually kind of crazy. Um, but I I sometimes miss the, the normalcy of corporate life. Um, after the agency, I worked for like a couple of like large tech companies. Um, and I mean, there's, there's definitely like a comfort to that, right? Because you get the, like, there's like gelato on campus and you ride your little bike around and, you know. (laughs) there's something like very like idyllic about that lifestyle and now i just feel like i'm like a neat who has to like you know do a bunch of work like three days a week and then otherwise it's it feels a lot like college yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking. I mean, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, the internet opened up the possibility for everyone to be kind of their own entrepreneur in a way. You know, entrepreneur with their skills, with their services, with their hustles. And that's kind of cool. It's kind of liberating, but uh, it's also a lot – it's really stressful. And there are people that go between the two, between corporate and this, like, kind of hustle life. And there's others who prefer one way or the other, you know? And you don't know who you are until you do it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like I always wanted the – like, especially when I was at the agency, which I really – I hate it. I mean, I did not – I did not have a good time in Texas for most of it. It, it got a lot better towards the end, but – um, I like really missed having the freedom to to do stuff. And now I feel like I have all the freedom in the world and I'm like, damn, I could use some structure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. How, I know the feeling. Uh, so I want to ask, uh, you know, we will, we will get to the peace and compact uh, just for people who want to jump ahead. Uh, why you're never leaving Twitter, Catherine D it's in compact August 10th, 2023. I actually do like compact. I do subscribe to compact, even though they did, uh, kind of attack me in that piece with Michael Lynn. Just like I was a little part of it, but that was kind of annoying because I do know the people at Compact. But whatever, um, it's the world as it is. Uh, but it's a good, it's a good. You no, know, I'm not gonna say it's good because like whether it's good or bad is depending on like where you start out from. It's interesting. I think you can say that. Okay. Um, but I want to ask you about online personas and stuff like that uh, because I have a lot of Zoomer friends. Not a lot, but I have some Zoomer friends. I have a lot of millennial friends. You're a millennial. I'm Gen X myself. And I think uh, one of the issues uh, and questions that I really do think about is online personas versus offline personas, how they're merging, how they're bifurcating, and um, how that's affecting people. You know, can you talk about that? Yeah, um, I think it's different for for everyone. Um, I think for some people, it's it's uh, the like truly their their profiles are an extension of themselves. Um, and I think those people probably have a harder time with everything. Uh, I also think like weirdly enough, people who are most likely to fall into that trap um, are like journalists where like, tr- like truly they are their Twitter selves. And they're also like the most likely group to receive just like heinous amounts of hate that they, that is very difficult to make sense of. And at the same time is, is pretty meaningless. Um, but then I think for other people, um, it, it's more of like a laboratory to experiment with, um, like maybe like a more distilled version of yourself or, you know, maybe it's not like literally who you are, but there's a certain emotional truth to your internet persona. Um, for other people, they're just like blowing off steam. Like a great example of this would be, um, rad Hitler on Twitter slash X, who is for anyone who doesn't know who she is. She just like all day is just like railing on men. And she, I mean, she, the the rate that this woman comes out with like criticisms of men is a really impressive and it's always very funny, um, but I, she's another person I know in real life and she's really sweet and like, like a demure, like Midwestern girl. And you would never, like, even the way she treats men in real life, you would never assume. And it really is a character. It's, it's, it's actually, she's like getting onto a stage and it's, it's a bit, even if they're, you know, it's not, she's not lying, but it, yeah. it, she is playing a role. Um, so it, it, it depends on your, your approach, I think. Yeah, I've uh, I've talked to Radfem uh, on Clubhouse uh, not many many times, but uh, you know probably a dozen times. And uh, yeah, she does have a Midwestern affect, and she does seem sweet and nice. So um, it's interesting because I I do follow the account, and uh, just so uh, people get a sense, it's kind of uh, you kind of like take misogyny and then you invert it. Um, I mean, she's can be funny, but uh, it's a very negative take on males and sometimes I, I do feel that it's pretty the joke is pretty obvious insofar as you're an incel and here's why you should be enjoy it or something like that you know it's just <laughs> like you know just like <laughs> just accept who you are you're a piece of crap because you're a man and that's what you were born to be like weird things like you know i'm exaggerating but you know i mean that's kind of the attitude so it's obviously not real um i know she has a real life and real interactions with men and whatnot so i i don't get the whole shtick i guess because i do follow the account and i just see that stuff i don't know this person in real life um and so that's a common issue you don't know the person in real life you think that uh what they're liking on the internet is going to be what they're like in real life and there's a lot of people that are very very opposite and then then some people who are the same like you were saying some people are a little exaggerated i would say i'm a, I'm, I'm harsher on the internet 
uh, than I am in real life, but I don't think I'm really that different. Uh, so it's like, it's a whole spectrum, right? Yeah. And it, it just depends on, I mean, it, it, it depends, it, this sounds like such a cop-out answer, but it like kind of does depend on like your needs and like why you're using it and what platform you're on. There's so, there's so many different, uh, different variables. Yeah. So, I mean, th- these are the nuances that are going to be like, oh, what? To a lot of boomers. So, for example, Instagram, I mean, outside of maybe teenagers, Instagram is a little, I would say it's a bit saccharine, uh, by which I mean, uh, so if, if Twitter is snark, Instagram is saccharine. So Twitter, you're trying to be clever, witty in the short amount of characters. Uh, but on Instagram, you need to show everyone your beautiful cupcake, you know? It's like your whole life is a beautiful pink cupcake with blue sprinkles and a delicious looking glaze. Obviously, it's not. It's all fake. But that's what you do. That's what I do. I do a lot of food Instagramming and people who follow me on Instagram, which is a private account. So don't try to don't try to follow me, by the way. And if I don't know you, I'm not going to accept, just so you guys know. But in any case, so Instagram is that one, one face. Uh, on Twitter, you have these short form comments, uh, like kind of snarky, kind of harsh. Uh, and then, you know. I have Substack. You have Substack. That's a more long-form place to put your thoughts out, right? So, uh, you know, Medium affects the message. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, I think like it's it's almost even more more broad than being able to assign a specific mood to it. I think sometimes you can, but um, like there's many different ways to use Instagram. I think a lot of Zoomers use it in this sort of surreal, detached way. Um, like, you know, sometimes the images are like, it's like a reverse curation. They're almost like purposely kind of like wacky and like they don't look good as a way to identify against the millennial curation. Um, I mean, I could, I, we could go down rabbit holes for every platform and I'll, I'll spare your audience that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's so many different forms of expression. Uh, so before we go on and I want to go to, um, I want to go to Twitter, I want to go to the compact piece, but I want to just like have a, not a placeholder, but just like a little information here, just so people get a sense. There's like eight, eight some billion people in the world. Uh, Facebook claims it has three billion active users, even if that's only like half true, whatever. It's still like billions, right? YouTube has two two point two million uh, MAUs, so like monthly active users as well. Uh, WhatsApp two billion, Instagram two billion, WeChat one point two billion. That's just basically China, I think. Uh, TikTok. <laughs> TikTok has a billion, uh, so that's like every single teenager in the world or something. Uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter X, probably on the order of 450 million. So we are going to be talking uh, about a platform, about a social media app that is dwarfed by all the others, but um, people talk about it a lot. And, uh, well, let's just start out there. Why do people talk about it a lot? There's actually a lot in your piece about why people talk about Twitter all the time, even though there's not that many people on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's it well just like Clubhouse, like you're you're referencing. It's not how many people are on it, it's who's on it. And what it's used for, it's used for um not just media dis- distribution, but idea generation. Um and we, this really hit like a fever pitch in the Trump administration, but it was happening like much, you know, much earlier than that and it's it's still happening, right? In fact, arguably it's gotten it's it's become worse. <laughs> Um, and that just sort of is, is a companion to TikTok in terms of like, where are people getting ideas to write about? <laughs> yeah. So I saw, like, I'll give you a concrete example. This is try to keep the podcast evergreen, but you know, this is going to be dated and people aren't going to remember this. But uh, my friend, Inez Stepman, who was on this podcast recently, she tweeted about um, how young starlets, uh, like the the one in Snow White, what's her name? Um they have wide set eyes um, uh, right now. A lot of them have wide set eyes. Uh, Rachel Z- Ziegler, um, as does uh, you know the woman in Little Mermaid and, and stuff like that. Okay, so there's a bunch of these women. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy, uh, you know her too. Okay, so they have wide set eyes. And then Stepman just made a comment asking, and eventually it became a huge thing. Um, some some like. Um, influencer bro said it's because they look like herbivores and so you can be a predator on them okay that's weird and then eventually it got to rolling stone and rolling stone write an art wrote an article about uh uh phrenologists um on twitter and so ns stepman had become 
a phrenologist uh, because she had talked about this. And it, it was really, a, and because I know her, and we were like talking about this, it was, it was a very offhand comment that somehow triggered something. And now it's like, it's become, so the, for the people who want to look it up, why are the girlies so into phrenology? Self-appointed experts in a discredited pseudoscience about skull measuring have undertaken social media. Um, like you know literally, what's so frustrating it was, about that? It was though? a tweet. Yeah, go like, on. It's like what pisses me off about the like, um, like right-wing extremism online beat is like there's always a very interesting kernel of truth. Like people do like the word physiognomy has come back and there are people who are not even within like right-wing Twitter, which is of course all journalists eyes are on it at all times. Right. For some, like for some reason, like I see TikToks about physiognomy all the time and it, it, they feel like astrology videos. And that's actually like, well, why is that? And there's probably tons of reasons like filters are misleading. So there's maybe a search for some sort of hidden truth. I mean, there's just, you could, there could be a million like really interesting reasons for it that has nothing to do with like racism and they just miss because they're so like zoomed in on this like let's paint like random like mildly conservative people on twitter as like these heinous racists that's like always the mo they miss the interesting story and i mean i think there's even an interesting story on like inez was right like people do like this is a trending look is there a reason for that like they kind of look like anime characters is there something there i don't know just it always really like frustrates me like just sure. a missed opportunity yeah so i i will say um i will say in terms of twitter it's it's, it's interesting um you know i know they're there and i use them for my Substack pieces but the uh, extended tweets those aren't really where it's at people are still staying to 250 and below 256 whatever it is and you know these like short little comments and you can say a lot of different things and intend a lot of different things with these comments and so you don't know where they're going to go um, you don't really even have control so it's this chaotic uh, meme factory that you're just pulling out of and i think the main issue that i would take with some of the journalistic observations is that the person making the comment is intending what played out at all. Usually they're intending nothing. It's literally just like a brain fart. Well, yeah, I mean, especially Rolling Stone like has this like just ridiculous hard on for like, you know, like fan fiction about right wing Twitter. Right. And not you know, not to let right wing Twitter off the hook. There's plenty there's like there's plenty going on there. It's just they they always miss the they always miss the story and they always misidentify people who have nothing to do with it. Um, it, I think it's, it's, it's a shame because there's, there's definitely like real trends that happen and they don't, they also, but I'll, I will say in their defense, like they don't have the time as I myself don't have the time to like spend like the time, like marinating within these subcultures to write like very robust investigative pieces. And that's part of the problem, right? Like not only is there no time to go out on the field as in like in the physical world, unless you're very privileged and you have like a very rarefied position, there's also not enough mm -hmm. time to mm -hmm. even like play anthropologist or investigative journalist online because you need to be like producing at this sort of insane rate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, do you know, uh, this is again, out of the outside of the list of notes that we have, but uh, I, I'm going to ask you, do you know the stuff that happened with raw egg nationalist and uh, I think new founding? I, I didn't, um, I didn't see what I know there was some kind of thread and some sort of mm -hmm. drama there, but I don't know exactly what, what happened. I mean, I'll give, I don't know. Too, like, again, I got, I literally spent like 20 minutes. It was just like, I, it's, it, it's, it's really, um, really difficult, really difficult to keep track of what's going on, uh, on the internet, but journalists had started getting into it. And so I was like, what's going on here? I didn't know much about raw egg nationalists. He's some far right figure, I think of him like Bab, except he's more into fitness, I guess, or eating. I don't know. Um, and so I don't know much about this, but he got associated. He got into a partnership with New Founding, which is a right wing um, kind of like think tank uh, run by Nate Fisher. I know Nate a little bit. He's in the Claremont circle is what I would say. He lives in Dallas. He comes down to Austin every now and then. He's a very serious reformed Christian. Uh, so, you know, Protestant Calvinist. And that's New Founding's thing. 
and they're getting attacked by these other Christians who I don't know, because <laughs> like I don't know Christian Twitter, okay? So they're getting he's for being associated with a Nazi, and then they go through um they go through this book or this magazine that Raw Egg publishes and BAP is in it too, and they talk about how there's all this Nazi imagery, and a lot of it looks like to be jokes, but I don't know, you know, I mean it, it's a little awkward because you. Jokes about Nazis, I don't know. I'm not, like, really down with that personally. Um, um, and then uh, there's stuff about, um, uh, oh, there's nudity, uh, obviously. And not obviously, but, it, and then New Founding is Calvinist. And so they're attacking them for the association, all this stuff. And after about 20 minutes, I'm just, you know what I, you know what I honestly did? I declared epistemological bankruptcy. <laughs> In terms of, I was just like, Okay, I'm just not going to figure this out. I'm just not going to know, okay? So I am, like, exiting out of this, and I am not going to draw any conclusion, you know? Because the only reason that I was interested is I know Nate Fisher somewhat, and I was just curious, and I have no conclusion, and that's just all I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. And I wish people would be like that more. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think, like, the right-wing thing is, like, a hot topic, and there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there because it's, like... There's, I mean, I think there's just so many levels, right? Like, obviously, the the back circles have a lot of cultural cachet, and conservatives have sort of, and you know, right wingers in general have sort of felt for such a long time that they're like terminally uncool. And finally, there's an expression of right wing thought and right wing subcultures that are like, they, wow, like Pete, like like everyone sort of wants to be not everyone, obviously, right? Not everyone, but there's. They see they have they're they're cool right people are paying attention to them they're edgy they're bad boys right um, they also joke or in some cases like quite seriously flirt with national socialism and it's just like it's so hard to know like what to what to do with that or like where to draw the line and then like what is the difference between drawing a personal line and then like being a woke scold that's another complicated thing and it's it's become like incredible it's like just a swamp like there's it's so hard to untangle what to do with these things. Well, also, um, there are other things. I mean, we're, we're going a little off topic, whatever. This is how the internet is. Um, so let's just go with it. Right. Uh, uh, rich men North of rich. So I, people know that I'm on Twitter. A lot of these, a lot of you listeners know uh, that I'm on Twitter, but one thing you have to understand is I don't really pay attention to a lot of the things that, that are happening around me too closely. I just tweet. And then I engage the people that engage with me and I look for news, you know? So there's a lot of things that are happening. Like, um, what's Wordle? I, I still don't know really what Wordle is, okay? Not going to lie. It's Wordle, right? In the New York Times <laughs> now? Okay, yeah. I don't know what it is, okay? <laughs> I see it on my timeline a lot. For a while, I saw it all the time. I never bothered to, to figure it out. So there are things that happen that become things. Uh, so, for example, rich men north of Richmond. I just ignored it for a while because I'm like, what's up with the ginger? Like, this ginger keeps showing up in my in my timeline. So I finally, like, figured it out. But here's the thing with rich men out of Richmond, uh, or north of Richmond. I actually didn't know if it was, like, a left-wing thing or a right-wing thing. Like, I could not tell from the song itself. I'm not going to – maybe I'm just stupid. But, I mean, in hindsight, it makes sense. But if you just initially listen to the song, I'm not totally sure – but somehow it became culturally polarized on the internet, and now all the lefties are making fun of it, and all these right-wing people are like, oh, this guy is great. This pathetic guy is great, you know? So that's just how it is. So sometimes stuff just happens on the internet, and it just happens because it happens. There's no fundamental deeper principle there, and so I think that's also part of the problem with trying to understand what's going on. And that's why I try not to understand a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's so ephemeral. And like, to actually like be paying attention takes up so much mental real estate. Like, another thing about the Richmond North of Richmond thing is then like, within these sort of like right wing internet circles, there's like ruralists and urbanites, right? And there's all these like, sort of like labyrinthine, like factions and fights. And it just, it's to, like, to what end? I mean, that's a sort of a funny question for me to ask, because I kind of professionally pay attention to this stuff. But for, for like for you like to what end does is you know to what's the point right there is no point it doesn't really matter unless you're trying yeah. to trace the the ecosystem yeah i mean sometimes it's sometimes it can be a little annoying when people allude to a meme that i don't get and then i got to go to urban dictionary or whatever but that's the main functional issue i think there's been there's been so many times where stuff has happened where 
everyone's commenting on it and I just ignore it and I don't even remember what it was. You know? Yeah. Because like, there's always something literally every two days. Every two days there's something. And yes, if like I, I found a story about it, an article about it, it would have jogged my memory, but they're so unimportant most of the time. It's like, oh, like some guy made his son eat beans and that was mean. Oh, um, they're they're snapping eggs onto kids' foreheads. Like these are real things, I think, you know? And I just ignore. Cause like what are you going to do? On the other hand, on the other hand, um, you know, you wrote an article, which, you know, we want to talk about, but uh, X, Twitter, it's a big deal. Uh, it's driving all of this media. It is the media in a way. I mean, would you say Twitter is the media in a way? Um, not, not totally, but in, in large part. Yeah, I think so. Well, because I feel like, and this is, this is a problem because they've, because they've, they've been telling journalists for years now, like five, more than five years. Like mainstream media, the editors, the older editors are like, get off Twitter, although stay on Twitter to publicize your articles, but don't read it, don't be influenced by it. But it's pretty obvious that it didn't work. And uh, I don't hear those things anymore. They, just, they don't even bother. They're just like, whatever, you know? It's just part I mean, of being a, a journalist. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, not only... I. Honestly, I think I get work because, like, partially because I get engagement and because I'm so online, right? Like, because I'm so on Twitter, even because you, the, the other really weird thing is like on Twitter, like being very online is being very on Twitter, right? Um, there's different ways to be very online. Like, I've always been very online. I just haven't always been on Twitter the way I am now, right? Um, and that's considered a strength because it means that you're like, more in touch and you know what's going on um and it's a really weird it's a really weird thing because you don't really know what's going on you only know what's going on within this like certain certain bubble yes exactly 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 so um speaking of um bubble let's talk about the elon bubble or whatever's going on in elon's head um i mean you kind of opened up the possibility that he's that twitter might end you know um, do you think, I mean, let's just like, you know, do a little bit of prognostication here. I was pretty skeptical that Twitter was going to end when Elon took over and he like fired all the engineers. Cause I've heard some stuff about how they ran the, the ship and it looks like there was a lot of dead weight and there clearly was cause it's still around. But, uh, I'm, I will be honest, like all of these ideas that he has, that he's experimenting constantly, it's kind of exhausting. And I think it's going to wear people out. And at some point there will be the negative feedback loop, but it, we're not there yet. What do you think? Um, I don't think we're there yet either. I think there there needs to be a good replacement, or if and and if there isn't, digital media is just going to die, right? It's it there need like there needs to be somewhere else for these people to go for Twitter to to really end. Um, and it, it might be TikTok. Um, I think, but it's just like you're not gonna. You're not going to make a TikTok every time you write an article. I have seen I, there are journalists who do that, and there's journalists who do it successfully. But I just can't. I, I like I can think of three of them, and they're all like yeah. relatively good looking women, it, it, minus one. The two wait, 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 who are you talking about? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to name names because I just called one of them ugly, and then I called the other two hot, and it's, it's all of that's weird for me to say. <laughs> But I can think of three. I can think of three female journalists who who use TikTok effectively. And then, like, what are what are all the what's Michael Lind going to do, right? How is he going to call you a eugenicon on TikTok? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm I'm getting an image right now, and it's a funny image. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe, but... maybe right? <laughs> <laughs> that's like it's like how many kids does Razib Khan have? And then like there's a big three. It's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really get to, I mean, TikTok's okay. I mean, you know, people can consume TikToks for like hours. I don't get it. It's not my thing. So people, people differ, but um, you know, uh, it's a thing. Uh, I think the issue with Twitter and not the issue, Twitter's text, text is different than video. Text is different than um, audio. So, you know, like the pivot to pivot to video that Facebook was going to do that it never ended up doing. It's because video uh, and text are different um, in terms of how you can consume them. Like, for example, with video, uh, you got to, you got to like pay attention, you know, with text, you can like go back, you can sample. 
stop sample, stop sample, and it's not that big of a deal, you know? Uh, it's much easier to multitask with text. So I think there's different utilities, there's complementarities. And so that's why Twitter has its own niche, right? It can't be replaced by TikTok or YouTube because they're fundamentally different things. Uh, Facebook and Twitter are a little bit more competitive in a way because Facebook has a lot of text, but Facebook's really just image and images a lot too as well. So Twitter has an image aspect, but I don't think it's that much of a... I mean, Twitter is... Uh, the closest air we have air we have to the bulletin board systems of the 1980s and 1990s that's what i'll say yeah I, I i agree with that i mean as you were talking i was trying to think like where else you know where where else have journalists gone right there's been different places that they've sort of like right when you know we were making the transition to digital media there's other places where people would get story ideas um you know, Tumblr, Reddit, 4chan being sort of the famous ones. Um, but yeah, I think like it's what's what's interesting about Twitter is like digital media explodes right when Twitter starts. And so they've always been in this sort of symbiotic relationship. And maybe there was like a short window of time where like Tumblr could have been the place, but not, you know, not really, right? Like there's a, they, it would it would be catastrophic, I think, for for the industry. Well, what about threads? No, I mean, I is anyone using threads? Last day, I, 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 I log into threads every couple of days and tell people I love them. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, I just like I just try to be a nice person on threads. I just say I love you guys. That's all I do on threads. <laughs> and I retweet people. It's very like it's very like saccharine and Instagrammy in my opinion. So I just like go with it. That's that's sweet, but it's not. That's I I don't know. Blue and Blue Sky certainly didn't take off either. Oh, Blue Sky! I need to log into my Blue Sky account. Let me just check it out now. Actually, you so uh, just so the listeners know, um, the reason that I log into uh, I actually have an account on everything. And cat, uh, 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 do you do you know why I do that? So no one could pretend to be you and take your name. Yeah, exactly. See, this is. So why they pay you yeah. the, the the medium bucks? Like normal people do not do not like uh, realize that uh, if you have a I don't know name or if you have a public profile, it's very very common for a hater to squat on your name and then start like talking. So like I have uh, so for example I have accounts on I think I'm ninety nine percent sure because I never log in after I initially squat, but I have accounts on Gab and all these other like sketchy sketchy sites but it's mostly because i immediately go on i log i i reserve receive con and then i don't ever log in again you know but if, once once i have the account they nobody else can use it you know yeah so i you got you got to do you got to do things like that but yeah blue sky all of these other things um the issue is like their functionality is not that different it's not about the functionality it's about the incumbency effect right like you cannot this is a stable equilibrium twitter is a stable equilibrium right now no matter what Elon's trying to do, like shock it off its, you know, course. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. Like it, it would just the the amount of time, it, and that's the other thing. It takes time for these platforms to grow and to become what they are. Like Tumblr is so interesting because Tumblr was started in like 2007. I'm pretty sure I was in high school when I first got on Tumblr, and it was like very confusing. And not, not many people were on it. And then it didn't really come into itself until like 2011, 2012. And then like it had sort of like a second life um, much, much yeah. later. Right. Yeah. And it, did, but it, it take, but, and, but now it, even though people are still on it and the site isn't dead, it feels almost like this piece of internet history. But it took so long for that, for that to happen. And same yeah. with Twitter. Twitter took a really long time to mature. And so there's this expectation of like, oh, well, we're all going to move to Blue Sky and then Blue Sky is going to just shutter, um, shutter Twitter, even if that's is what that migration is going to happen. It, I feel like the the lifespan is just it just takes so much longer than people think. It's not going to happen in a week or a month or two months. It takes it takes a while. Yeah. So Twitter, what it, it was, uh, was it 2006 South by Southwest that it, it debuted? Was it 2006 or 2007? I think it was uh, 2007 too. And then, okay. Yeah, that's and there's yes, that like Peter no. Thiel. Yeah, yeah. So it's 2007, um, and uh, media people started using it, but it wasn't a major cultural thing 
for like two or three years. It was it was slow burn. I remember um, Tim O'Reilly of O'Reilly Media. Uh, he would tweet about how he had just eaten a sandwich, and this was literally through the SMS. So Twitter was originally uh, oriented towards uh, short text, short messaging services, and people would just. I remember I did it a couple of times uh, that way too. Just a that's been deprecated, by the way. A lot of people don't know that it's not. You can't do it that way anymore. But in any case, people used to do it was an SMS service, and then eventually got hooked into the web, or you know that was an option, and then people started articulating thoughts instead of updates. So Twitter was really just a public updating service, and it kind of organically evolved. Uh, journalists kind of took it over, turned it into the public space, the public square. You know, um, you know, we probably remember Arab Spring. Other sorts of things happened. Facebook came up around the t- same time. The two were kind of overlapping, but they've really bifurcated now. Facebook is really the boomer platform. Uh, you know, people's parents are on it. Grandparents are on it. And uh, I don't know what I mean. I mostly fa- images and also like talking to people that I knew from high school or keeping up on, you know, them stalking them somehow. Twitter's not like that at all. Um, people, very few people from my high school are on Twitter. A few of them are. But very yeah, you few. know, of, right? Um, I think what's interesting about Twitter is if I'm not mistaken, I might be misremembering this. I think like the quote unquote like discovery of black Twitter is what really started making it popular. There was there was a few like news there was a slate article and then maybe like a New York Times article about like, man, black people are using Twitter in this weird way. And that actually helped it explode. I might be misremembering No, I remember that article. I remember that article that black people that basically uh black Americans were overrepresented in the production of content on Twitter, viral content. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can see it even today, like when you go to the GIFs, you know, the expressions and all these things, there's a lot of like black people in it, you know, like it's just how it is. And so um, that's an interesting, interesting point. Uh, you know, woke, woke culture came out of woke was originally a black thing. It's been literally culturally appropriated. No one complains about this, by the way, but it's just it is how it is. Woke got culturally appropriated. Just like where they grow. And- I think compact actually, and I didn't read the, I don't subscribe totally enough. Uh, but I think they had an article recently. I was like black woke versus white woke. And I actually do want to want to read that because that, I think it might address like what, what, like woke was kind of like a, a, and I don't know if there's a better word, but it was kind of like a hotep term initially, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, it was very, it was very conspiracy theories. Like get woke, like wake yeah. up. Right. And so, yeah, uh, Lee Siegel, black woke versus woke, white. Yeah, Lee Siegel. I, I, I know Lee a little bit. But yeah, I, so I, have, I didn't read that, but I saw it. It's there. Okay. It was eight days ago. But yeah, um, it was a Hotep. So Hotep is, well, I mean, I, you, again, this is, a, Hotep was originally pre internet. You know, it was around, like it comes out of black nationalism and Nation of Islam spin off and then, uh, what is it, the 5% Nation and all that stuff. But there's, there's, whole, there's whole subcultures online. That have their own lexicon, have their own ecosystems that you don't know about. Hotep's one of them, and stuff leaks out of Hotep. And then sometimes when it goes into the mainstream, people are like, "Whoa, what is this? Like, what's his name? Um, uh, Mariah Carey's ex, uh, ex uh, husband? Is it his ex husband or ex boyfriend? Yeah, Nick Cannon. So Nick Cannon, um, the, all that stuff about like how white people don't have souls and melanated and all that stupid stuff." I mean, that's just like part of Hotep culture. It's part of the understanding of the Hotep worldview. It's very normative and just accepted in, um, you know, a lot of, I would say, inner city, uh, lower middle class, lower class, uh, black male culture, uh, these Hotep ideas. But once it got exploded out to, you know, mainstream media and, you know, white female uh, cable news presenters started talking about it. It seemed crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, what's what's interesting is I had this weird moment like a few weeks ago, maybe it was months ago at this point, where I was where I was like, you know, I I feel like I have a lot of exposure to white nationalism just because it's always in the news and it's on Twitter and it's very very visible, but I don't know anything about black nationalism or black separatism or Afrocentrism or any of these things. And I went down this rabbit hole and I ended up getting to this woman um, named. Shahrazad Ali, and she she was like operating in the eighties and early nineties, and she sounds down to like you know verbatim quotes exactly like Pearl Davis, pearly things. And I and I had this realization: I'm like, did they kind of invent the manosphere? Like, is this? Oh not yeah, they did. Just- <laughs> and then I and the, yeah, and then I ended up saying like, 
damn, like we like everyone sort of accuses the black manosphere of like piggybacking on the like red pill community um, that sort of grew online. But I think it was actually like pickup artists that were reacting to the sexual revolution. And that was sort of a white thing. And then there was like a separate black manosphere that actually was like much more influential. That is like, you know, way, way older, sort of same time period, but so much stuff comes from that. And like, no one knows about it. And it's, it's wild. Yeah. So um, actually uh, I know a little too much about pearly things. Um, we, we are one degree separated. We, we're, we are talking about a lot of things that um, I'm sorry to say the boomers in, in my listening audience, like, you know, I know that you're just like, what, what is going on here? So I'm going to elucidate it for it for you a little bit. Pearly Things is a young woman, Pearl Han- or Hannah Pearl Davis, a wealthy woman from Chicago, ginger, so she has no soul. Uh, she was semi-pro soccer player in England because of the pandemic. They stopped playing or something. She eventually decided to take some investment money from her dad, who's a wealthy businessman in Chicago. And she has a little uh, YouTube empire, uh, like Pearly Things. Uh, and it's a lot of it is kind of dating advice and it's like a talk show. It's a little bit like a Jerry Springer type thing for Zoomers, but not really. There's no violence or anything. Um, but basically, a lot of her shtick is taken from Manosphere. It's a woman. It's a young white woman, uh, young upper middle class white woman, uh, m- uh, mouthing Manosphere talking points. But a lot of it is similar to stuff from uh, a show called Fresh and Fit, uh, which is two y- black guys from Miami. And they are manosphere types and, you know, you know, like high, they're high value men. That's what they'll call themselves. Right. And when you hear that term, there's all these terms that they have. Um, and, you know, that's just how it is. But, yeah, uh, the genealogy of, of how things emerge from one culture to another is interesting. It's kind of like rock and roll, like Elvis. You know, El- I mean, this is famous. Everyone knows this. Elvis took black music uh, or like, you know, the black hillbilly synthetic music and brought it to the white masses in a form uh, that they found palatable as a attractive, you know, young white man. Right. And so people like Pearly things, um, they are, you know, like Pearl, she's bringing it uh, to an audience that's a somewhat different than the audience that would watch fresh and fit. And if you watch fresh and fit, you know, it's a black show, right? It's a black lexicon. It's black concerns. It's, it's black centered. It centers blackness. Like that's normative in fresh and fit. So obviously it's not as attractive. Uh, it's not going to be as interesting to people outside that community. Uh, there's a lot more non-black people out there than black people. And so, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a capitalist opportunity. Uh, and that's how the internet works. That's how internet culture is. It's porous, it's viscous, it's inter- interconnected. And like, wouldn't you say Twitter is kind of, Twitter like actually is a node. That's what it is. Yeah, it, absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. I mean, basically it's like a heart and it's like, you know, transmitting things here and there. I mean, how are you feeling? I mean, do you like Twitter? Like, what's your experience? Do you like it? Like a lot of people have love, hate, you know, guilt relationship with it. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, I, it's brought me like so much opportunity. I've met some of my best friends on it. Um, you know, I've, I've met so many like now, like in the physical world, like good friends on Twitter. I forgot that they were Twitter people at, at any point. Right. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like I have like so many just like crazy a logs. Uh, it's made me like get in my head about shit. I was never thinking about there's a new thing to be insecure about every single day. I've, I'm, I'm never going to turn on notification filters. So I'm kind of like, it's brought, it's, it's brought me so much joy and so much opportunity, but at like such a huge, like psychological and emotional tax. Yeah. Like talk about what is that tax? What is the emotional tax? Um, I mean, like I, I'm just, well, you know, I was saying earlier, like a lot of journalists sort of like to use a DEI HR term, like bring their whole selves to the timeline. And like, there is no like Catherine D default friend persona and like, not really. I mean, you know, there's things I won't share just for self-preservation, but I am like, my tweets are things that I would say and they're things I say on podcasts and in real life. And um, so I take the criticism very personally and I've gotten better at it, but it's like really hard, especially when you have like a, like a random person you've never met who just like gets it in their head that you're evil or like you, you need to be taken down a peg or something. You're kind of like, well, what the fuck? Like, I'm, like, what did I do? Right. And it's so hard to be like, oh, well, some people are just like this. Like there's a huge, like I'm broadcasting to a bunch of people I can't even see. And who knows 
what stories that they've made up or who knows what things I've actually done that are offensive because are offensive to a community where I'm not aware of the the rules or something. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to see myself as like a public figure of any kind, even if I'm like relatively neat. Uh, yeah. In terms of, um, uh, you know, being a public figure in Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. Would you call me a public figure? Yeah, def- definitely. A lot of people okay. know who you are. Okay, because I don't know what that means, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't put, I mean, I put myself, I don't talk about my personal, I don't talk about my personal life, you know that, uh, on Twitter, um, you know, I might allude to it here and there, but, uh, there are certain things I definitely do not talk about, um, yeah, there's things that, there's things I talk about in real life that I definitely do not talk about Twitter, I'm not gonna get into what that is, but I, there are people who have moved to Austin, um, that have followed me for many years, uh, I've been on Twitter for a while, so you know there are people who started following me as a teenager, and now they're in their mid twenties. Software engineer, they moved to Austin, they start hanging out with me, and then I find out that they know me from Twitter, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're somewhat different in this one way or this other way," and you know that's when you know like what you hold back and what you present. And you know I look at Twitter in a very instrumental way, um, like what can it do for me? Um, what do I get out of it? And um, you know I don't, I, you know, I, I mean I made friends out of it, but. I also have like, I make sure I have other, just like you, I make sure I have other platforms and distribution channels. And this is really important um, in terms of today because Twitter is a privately held company and it's basically the plaything of one Elon Musk. And that is a little disturbing sometimes to me. Now, I have to say, I'm, I mean, this is going to polarize the audience. I'm kind of pro-Musk overall. Uh, I'm friendly with his circle. I will say that I have been in the same room with him in Austin. So he's part of this world. Uh, he is a human being, you know, he does walk amongst us. But uh, the capriciousness <laughs> the, with the way he behaves is really stressful. And I do feel, I mean, I'm not one of those people, oh, I'm quitting Twitter and then I'm going to be back. I don't do that all the time. But I feel like my own internal reserves slowly depleting because, for example, just a, a, a selfish thing that I'm going to bring up. Um, you know, he's been deboosting Substack, you know, that's affecting my bread and butter. And it's because he has a beef with the Substack founders and whatever it is, what it is. But the, but the ultimate, ultimate issue is he's judge, jury and executioner. There's no appeal to him. And this sort of behavior um, is really disconcerting because if it's the public square, there's got to be rules beyond the fiat of the Pharaoh, you know? Yeah, I mean... He, you know, now he says he wants to take take away headlines. He wants journalists to publish directly to Twitter, um, and he's like, "Well, now you can make more money." Well, it's great, but like, what if you got deboosted? Like, you know, you and I might have because we post a lot of Substack links, and you know, you write like a well thought out piece about whatever, and I write maybe a less well thought out piece about whatever, and then we make fifty cents, and then and then to add insult to injury, Ian Miles Tong walks away with $25,000 a month. You know, it's like, there's so many, like, that's not any better than it was. Like, stuff's super corrupt right now. And I'm, I'm with him, like, with his ire yeah. towards the media. I get it. I understand why he's upset with the press. But, like, is is it is it really, really better the way things are now? I don't know. I mean, it's certainly different. It's certainly different. I guess the issue, the issue that I do worry about is... Uh, you know, Elon, you know, he's involved in Neuralink, or not Neuralink, uh, Starlink. I mean, Neuralink, obviously. He's involved in so many things. He has so much power. And on the whole, like, I'm more pro-Elon than the average, probably, PMC, professional managerial class person. But but it, it worries me to have all this power in one man's hands. And so now we're talking about the media. We're talking about Twitter, how Twitter is the node. It's kind of the switchboard, you know? Elon controls the switchboard. So... If you don't want to get, if he doesn't want you to get through, you're not going to get through. So that's disturbing, right? That's that's disturbing. Elon Musk, if if internet culture is culture, and Twitter is one of the main nodes of the internet, Elon Musk controls our culture. Yeah, and that's disturbing. Um, I I don't think I don't think he's been so much. I don't think he's been so authoritarian with it that um he's killing. You know, like, I don't think he's, like, exterminating subcultures or anything. And to be to be fair, like, to be to say something in his, fav- in his favor, 
the old, the you know, the old version of, of Twitter, old, you know, prior management um, kind of di- like didn't exterminate subcultures, but they definitely kneecapped a lot of them in, in a way that felt more intense than Musk's rule. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, feel, I feel that. So I feel that. it's, you know, I, I think it could be worse, but yeah, it, it is. It's like definitely frustrating that like you, you your visibility um, is impacted probably because of, you know, so many people have opted into the monetization thing. But like, if you post, I think it, and I, I have a, no one said this, but I have a suspicion if you post too many like link, like to articles on out, you know, outside platforms, like I, I find that I see a lot fewer, um, like, like it used to be like every day there'd be like an Atlantic article going viral or a New Yorker article or something. I see, I don't see that quite as often. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've noticed that too. And there's, and there's pros and cons to that. Like, you know, the pro is like the, like, should, should the Atlantic still be ruling the roost? I don't have a particular bone to pick with them, but maybe that's, it just, it's just not, it's not a meritocracy either way. Whereas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say is, uh, you know, cause I've been thinking about this because Elon does do things and I've seen it. Like you can test it. He has de-boosted, like he's like put a delay because you know, it's him who's done this. He's put a delay on New York times and Substack links and other things like that. Right. Okay. That's fine. I'm like five second delay. Uh, I think it, like if you go to substack.com, I, I don't think that this applies if it's, you know, anyway, custom domain. But in any case, um, he's done stuff like this and it's disturbing and it's annoying because, uh, you know, in a liberal rule based order, um, equality before the law is super important. That's how things function. Obviously, there's not a government, but Twitter functions as a kind of a confederation or a constellation or a little republic of tweets, you know, or republic of x's whatever uh and then when the rules there are different rules for different people and different institutions it starts to get really confusing and people are going to start opt-outing or behaving badly yeah i mean i i, I totally agree with you um and you know what the thing is i think the people who will start leaving and getting and opting out first are probably the people who you would have expected to stay like the people who like the Atlantic or the New York times, they're going to find other ways to advertise themselves. But someone who's really like earning their money off of Substack, they're going to need to say, all right, I'm going to have to make, uh, if they like, it's really, really suppressed, they're going to have to like make another platform work. They're going to have to find a way to distribute. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's why you do. Um, so, you know, I started I started a Substack in 2020, but I started a Mailchimp earlier. You know, I have blogs. I've done other things over the years. But in 20, it was 20 fall of 2016, I believe. I remember my friend. Um, well, I'm not going to say his name, but he was a coworker. Uh, you know, out of Silicon Valley. At uh, when I was working at Embark, the doggy DNA company, and he's like, "You need to start a mailing list because you never know what the platforms are going to do. You never know. If you don't have control, you never know." And he was prescient. Uh, you never know what's going to happen, what the platform is going to do, who's going to get suspended, who's going to get yanked, uh, because ultimately there's not that much real appeal. Like, yeah, there's appeal, but, you know, you have to have pull. You know, years ago, like uh, a couple of years ago, I got brigaded on Clubhouse and they suspended my account or whatever. And then I called Eric Weinstein and he called the, the founders uh, of Clubhouse and got me reinstated. Well, I mean, I had some pull, obviously. That's not really fair. Like a lot of normal people get, you know, they get squelched that way uh, because some random person, I have a friend, I have a friend, she's just a normal person and um, her account got suspended and she didn't understand why she's very SJW, by the way. So it's not like she's right wing. Uh, And later she found out that someone on Twitter, this is before the Elon era, someone on Twitter did not like her and decided to blacklist her account and they put enough pressure and enough weight behind it that nobody else really wanted to bug about it. Because she's a nobody. Right. Stuff like that happens, you know? And that's, that's not cool. Yeah. It's, it, that's, man, <laughs> that's my nightmare. <laughs> yeah, like someone just decided. The issue is, though, you, you wouldn't have a problem because you're your default friend. You have enough pull, you know? So there's different rules for different people. That's, what, that's what's really bothersome. Um, you know, if you if you if you can find an angle, you can find an angle if you have power. If you don't have power, uh, you don't. 
And so I think one of the things that Twitter and social media and the internet was supposed to do was to democratize. And it has democratized in some ways, but ultimately your your power um, you know, really matters and is still playing out. And you know, there's all these rules on Twitter like block quoting, don't block quote, dunk on small accounts and stuff like that. But, you know, that is uh, predicated on certain norms that are enforced and people just have to honor it. And they're not necessarily doing that right now, especially in a context um, uh, where, you know, you're monetizing engagement. And so uh, we've been talking for a while. I want to end with, with this topic because like, it is something that I've talked about with other people that are on Twitter. Um, I am, I've gotten a little bit of money out. Actually, I turned on monetization. Um, not, you know, Ian Miles, like, I mean, I'll just say it like $226, whatever. I mean, I get millions of impressions, you know, like I've gotten like 18 million impressions one month. So I don't know how they're calculating. It's fine. I make good money on Substack, So not whining, but I think monetization in this way with impressions, uh, might be very dangerous in terms of the incentives. What do you think? Um, I, I don't totally understand how it works. Um, my impressions went my, like if you look at the month over month, my impressions went way down and I'm making, and more than that, I know people who have less followers or co- a comparable amount of impressions who make a lot more than I do. Like I'm not even making, and I've yeah. been like super honest about this. I'm not even making $200. I'm not even making a hundred dollars. I I'm in the same yeah. boat as you. I make plenty um, writing, writing and I make plenty from Substack, but I don't like, it makes me wonder, like, oh, how does this work? Like, am I on some kind of blacklist or something? Like, yeah. there's just no way that I have 40,000 plus followers. I'm, you know, I have at a minimum 6 million impressions a month. I mean, and that seems kind of low from what it was. And then I'm, I'm making like, uh, you know, I made like 20 bucks one time. You know, it's like just, it's yeah. just weird. I don't understand how, how it's calculated. It's not transparent. It's not transparent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Also, like, this is just random, and I don't care. It's not a big deal. But uh, I, I was getting, like, 1,000 new followers per month until the Elon regime. In fact, the last month before Elon, I got 2,000. And since then, uh, I have gotten, like, 300 to, um, you know, 800 followers. So, you know, something changed there, which is fine. I don't mind. Um, but there's been tweaks in there that have happened that have affected people. And I wish... There'd been a little bit more transparency about that. But yeah, um, there were people who got our level of uh, impressions that were getting thousands of dollars. I mean, uh, like Richard Hanania is getting like $1,700, $2,000 a month. And his account is about the same size as mine. I think he'd probably get a few more tweet impressions because uh, he trolls, but still. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't totally make sense to me. And I, I, had, a, I had a follower drop off too, right? And it's, you know, I don't think my, my content's changed um but i think like you know what i think it might be for both of us actually you you are hugely negatively impacted if people mute and block you and both of both of us are you know we are memes in certain corners of the internet and we we experience mass blocks and mass mutes almost as like a bit sometimes and i think that has actually we've paid a price for like weirdly um we're like in this weird level of fame where like it's it we we pay a price that someone who maybe has a larger platform doesn't yeah i mean for those of you who don't follow me on twitter um i have uh i have recurrent beefs with certain sectors of the internet and i don't actually avoid them i just run towards them and then i just do a mass call but of course they're doing the same thing to me so you know i might block like 50 people overnight and i'm sure i got blocked by about 50 people so that's what you're talking about yeah, or or even just like muted. Like maybe like people, you know, they they love your stuff and they're like I'm just going to manually check his timeline because he's always beefing with the people or something. I mean, I'm not always beefing. I just have like periodic like, you know, you have that little episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I I I'm I'm an episodic beef. I'm an episodic beefer. You know, that's that is what I do and I know what I usually I do it before I go to sleep. I put out a tweet and I know exactly what it's going to attract and I get up in the morning and I do my work. I do the work, you know. I block, I come back at them, and it's it's done. But um, yeah, I, so I, I had not thought about that. I mean, that's the issue. Um, I don't think in much detail about what the hell I'm doing on this platform. You know, it's very organic. And um, I just like follow my whim and whimsy. 
But now that people are monetizing it, you know, you have 40,000 followers. I have 67,000, almost 68,000 followers. And then you see other people that are making thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's like, yeah, even with inflation, that still matters. You know, it affects yeah. you on some level. Like you start to think like, wait, what should I, am I leaving money on the table? Yeah. And it's, I, yeah, it, maybe, maybe we should monetize on other platforms. Like I had, a, a maybe this, this is where we end it. I had a very disturbing morning. I woke up at, at five. That's just when I wake up at five. I did all my morning chores. I did, I, I wrote my little article. And then, I, and then I thought to myself, like completely sincerely, I'm going to start making TikTok. And I recorded a TikTok at like 7 a.m. And I was like, I can't, I can't let this be who I am. I can't, I can't publish this. I can't let this, I can't let this replace Twitter. <laughs> it's already too yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got a buddy of mine and he does a, he does a TikTok, genetics TikTok, and it's pretty big, but um. Yeah, I don't know. That's I'm just it's not going to be me. I did uh I did start posting the podcast and stuff on YouTube because that's good for discovery, but I don't think that that's that big of a deal. Um, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. Um, uh, but uh yeah. So, you know, we've been talking for a while. We touched a lot of subjects. I'm sure, you know, uh, people are going to be following the links and some of these esoteric uh I mean, I don't know if they're eso esoteric is the wrong word. I maybe parochial, parochial is the right word because everything is parochial now. Everything is universal and also parochial in some way, if that makes sense. Where there's all these subcultures and they're accessible, but you need to look. And uh, if you don't look, they don't exist, but they're there. I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Parochial is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start adopting that word to the, describe this stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, it was great talking to you, Catherine. Um, the article uh, is uh, why you're never leaving Twitter. I mean, it should be why you're never leaving X, but you just put Twitter, right? You wrote it before they changed. Did you? Were, did you? Uh, was was the piece pitched before it was X? Yeah, it was. It was one of these things where, like, I I had written it earlier in the summer, and they just hadn't found like a right time, like a right time yeah. to publish it. I don't. And then, goes. yeah, but I I like I like dead naming it. It something feels good and rebellious about that. Yeah, I mean, people are, <laughs> people routinely like in the media, it's like the form the. Plat X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. They're just having fun with it. It's just it's a fun joke now. But um, anyways, it was great catching up. It was great talking to you. And uh, don't be freezing up there in Chicago. Well, I guess that's... Uh, wait, do people know that you live there? Uh, yeah, they do know that I live there. And it, guess what? It's over 100 degrees right now. Okay, well, uh, don't <laughs> melt down. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I guess I'll see, I'll see you... Uh, I'll see you on the interwebs, on the information superhighway, as they say. All right. See you around. This podcast for kids.